0: Another episode of Soul Care with Me Angie Fatal. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And I want to start like I always do with a land acknowledgement. I am in Portland, Oregon, for those of you that might be new or didn't realize in the United States. And I am on the traditional lands of the Multnomah, Cathlamet, Clackamas, Cowlitz bands of Chinook. Tualatin, Kalapuya, Malala, and many other tribes that made their homes along the Columbia River. This land is unceded, which means they didn't give it away. It was taken, and it was taken by force. And I will keep acknowledging the people that this land belongs to, and hopefully we can find a way forward that acknowledges, gives back, makes restitution for that. So you're here, I'm here, and I hope that everybody is doing okay in, in the crazy time we're living in. Uh, I know that crazy time we're living in has been overused and seems more appropriate when we thought that this was going to be a lot shorter than it actually has been, the pandemic being what I'm talking about. Um, And it's not, and I can't speak for anybody in any other country, but I know for those of us in the United States, because of how it's been handled by our government, we haven't had a break from it. We haven't been able to return to some kind of semi-normal um, at all. And hopefully that will change. So it, it it doesn't even do it justice to say it's fatiguing. Or maybe we're just all used to it by now and it's not as fatiguing. I think sometimes I find that what is more fatiguing is a day that kind of looks like a day that I used to have where, you know, maybe I have a couple clients on, I've always met with people uh, through FaceTime or Google or Skype or whatever. So that's always been something I've done. But maybe I'll have a couple clients in the morning and then I'll have an archery workshop. um, And I find that because I'm not used to that anymore, I am very tired afterwards. (laughs) So sometimes I'm surprised by it, and then I have to remind myself, that's not my normal anymore. There are three main things that I want to talk about today, and I hope that you'll listen, and I hope that you'll hear, and I hope that it's helpful. The three main things are what to do with the letdown when you've been holding stress and trauma for a long time. And what does trust look like in the body and how do you build it? And then I also want to do a couple body awareness slash meditation things towards the end. So that's what I'm going to be talking about today. I hope that, um, yeah, I hope that it's helpful these are all things that I do with my clients in my private practice, all all kinds of things that we talk about. I didn't create it, I didn't invent it. I've just been saved and given a lot of peace through these tools and I hope that you'll have the same reaction. You might hear my husband talking to his students in the other room because this is the This is the way we're living these days. And unlike my friend Pippa Gordon, I don't have a a wardrobe to climb into (laughs) to record this. So if you hear any background noise, my husband is a music teacher, and I can hear him in a meeting, and while he's in a meeting, his students are trying to get on the Google Meet and have their own private meeting, which they're not allowed to have, and it's pretty funny to listen to. Anyway, this is the new stuff that we're doing in our lives and we're fluctuating with it. At least I hope we are. The reason I wanted to talk about what to do with a letdown, you know, after holding stress a long time, and I mainly am talking about stress. Um, I think that stress and trauma are different, um, but in my experience personally, And with clients, they can overlap. And what I mean by that is um, a stressful situation can bring up trauma. Um, Maybe not re traumatized, but it can bring up trauma and make it very present in our bodies. Also, trauma is stressful. So you kind of can't have one without the other, um, but they are different. So the The reason this came up for me is we had an election um that election was stressful, and the four years leading up to that election were stressful, to say the least. um mm-hmm. but I'm not gonna get into that. Um, you know, the waiting i I did a lot of things to kind of protect myself and um. You know, I did things that I think I'm pretty good at. <laughs> Some of it comes from growing up with my own trauma, but I compartmentalized things. I just said to myself, "I'm not going to look at the media. I'm not going to read um, newspapers online. i'm I don't want to hear any of the updates when they were, you know, in America. Um, because of the election, and then because of all the things that, you know, we're having to do to elect somebody during a pandemic, it took a lot longer. So I, I don't want the up. I didn't want the updates. So I was very careful with myself. I got out in nature. I went and did. Uh, I I try to monthly with friends do a polar plunge, in in this river spot that I've talked about before that is very healing for me. So I did that twice. Um, I just did things that felt good along with the work I had to do and the meeting with clients and archery and all the other things that I do, but was very careful with myself. One of the things that surprised me is, um, and I don't think I talked about this last week, but one of the things that surprised me was after Biden was confirmed, um, you know, and everybody was celebrating in the streets and I think I even heard that in in Germany, that a church ring its bells, that they only ring at like high holidays, (laughs) stuff like that. So it sounds like the world was also holding its breath. Um, I had an odd reaction that I did not feel celebratory. And I was kind of surprised by that at first just kind of looking at myself and because i remember when obama got elected um we had people at our house watching the election and um the neighborhood that i live in is historically a black neighborhood and we were running through the streets and all the neighbors were out on the streets running through the streets celebrating and it was amazing held those differences at the same time within myself and tried not to judge it that doesn't I didn't. I tried not to judge myself and just kind of let it be what it is. Um, But it did kind of make me a little bit sad because, you know, I am excited for the first Black woman vice president. Um, I am really excited about that, but I think my excitement has taken a backseat. It could be that, you know, there's a part of me that's waiting for the other shoe to drop. It could be, you know, just emotional fatigue. It could be all of those things. Uh, And that's okay. That said, I want to be present with myself. And by being present, I'm I'm not saying I need to overthink it or analyze it or whatever. But I did want to acknowledge that you know, where so many of my friends like went downtown and were, you know, dancing in the streets and that did make me happy. There was just a piece of me that almost like it was shut down. And so that's what I want to talk about are those places in ourselves where we've been holding stress so long that when the stress is relieved, when there's, um, a release from that, we don't feel necessarily like we think we're supposed to feel. And what do we do with that? And I think it's probably different for everybody. I don't think there's a right way. I would say that probably the rightest way would be to be gentle with ourselves. Because we are all different. We experience stress. You know, we experience these things different from each other? What might affect me in an acute way that kind of keeps me from feeling like I can get out of bed? You know, my partner, Todd, my husband, it's not going to affect him in the same way. You know, he might, for him, what I'm experiencing as great stress may be a blip on the screen for him. And he just keeps moving on with his day. And then vice versa, something that, You know, really affects him and causes him to like hit a low or a depression is not the same thing for me. And I think that that's the nice thing about can be the nice thing about having a partner that you share a lot with is they don't necessarily have to be in the same place as you are, and they can be a compassionate, listening ear, empathy and an empathetic presence to our stress. That That isn't always the case, but I think um, because we are different personalities, we, things just affect us differently. I started with be gentle with ourselves. And what I mean by that is for a lot of us, the inner critic runs rampant that critic suggests there's something wrong with us we're unfeeling what's our problem our emotions are shut down you know we're a robot um, or or counter to that we're over emotional we're too feeling we're we're a hot mess you know we're just too much there's you know the critic, is happy to just say whatever the critic wants to say, especially if the critic has a willing audience. And when I say be gentle, I'm not saying that there might be truth in some of those things that we're hearing in our brains. Listening to that critic doesn't do us any good. It doesn't, make us more compassionate with ourselves and others, it doesn't help us to engage our empathy and our vulnerability and allow ourselves to feel, it shames us. And shame, we know, doesn't do us any good. It doesn't, it doesn't release us into better and more wholeness. It, it just locks us up and one of the things i try to pay attention to when i'm in a stressful time is what that critic is saying because by noticing i can usually if i have the awareness if i've built up that awareness i can usually catch myself you know through mindfulness practices. And one of the mindful practices that I have, or I try to engage in, I'm not saying I've mastered all this, everybody, is when I hear that old voice, you are not enough. I kind of stop and I go, oh, yeah, yep, I've heard you before. I know you so well. And I just, I let it be. I do not always have the wherewithal to catch it that quickly, whatever it is, like you're a fraud, you know, who would listen to you? Um, All the, all the things, all the things that we hear, all the things that the critic says to us, that we're not a good friend, that we, you know, we're, we're all ego or, you know, I don't know what it is for you, but I know mine pretty well. And one of my main ones is I am not enough. And I know to pay attention to that when I hear it. And I've also taught myself to, to let it be what it is. And one of the things, and, I, and I'll and i get to that a little bit later when I talk about, you know, what does it look like uh, to trust, you know, to build trust in our bodies. But if we can stay gentle with ourselves, and I know it's hard, especially if you were raised in an, in an environment where shame was used as a tool to shut you down and to rob you of your voice, and to remind you that what you had to say was not important. I, I grew up there as well. And I grew up in a school where not only was I getting that at home, at school, that was the model that was used. I, I went to a small country school, and so shame and humiliation were used to control us. And I grew up in the charismatic evangelical church, which reminded me that if I wasn't experiencing healing, if I wasn't hearing God's voice, if I... There's a, there's a lot of other ones. Anyway, then I was in sin, or there wasn't there was something wrong with me. It was it was my fault. Like I had created the separation with with God, which is a load of fucking rubbish. That's what the church told me, and then God told me I can do nothing to separate myself from the love of God. So again, these shame tools. We like shame tools because shame makes people controllable. And I was very controllable, especially as a two helper on the Enneagram. I just wanted there to be less conflict and more love. And I would do whatever people needed me to do to get them to love me, to not be bad, and until I exploded. And then I would kind of clean up my mess Say my sorries and go as long as I could again until that didn't work anymore. And I have been reflecting on these models because each exit from these shame structures, and I'm not talking about exit meaning leaving the church, I'm just talking about the noticing along the way of. You know, when I when I went to therapy and I started dealing with the lies within my family and and drawing boundaries, that didn't alleviate my stress. In the beginning, it actually created a lot more stress. And anybody listening that's ever drawn a boundary with people that don't like boundaries knows that it creates a lot more stress in the beginning. But as you get better at holding those boundaries, what it does is often it frees you up from people that are going to refuse to, um, abide by your boundaries. So it can take a long time to get there. At least it has with my family and it fluctuates and I have to reestablish boundaries and I don't want to get into that. But what I mean by exiting is sort of how I, I learned another way when I, when I grew up and I left the Charismatic Evangelical Church, I moved away to another city, entered into another kind of church, Assemblies of God, so very much charismatic evangelical still, but but I started to shed some of the beliefs of my parents. And, you know, along the way with with my family, like I said, with boundaries, and then institution so i've shed different things and i've picked up different things or or i've noticed this isn't working for me anymore and as i've matured and grown as a person and been introduced to different tools i've been able to try different things and see what tools work much like my own faith deconstruction when i dumped everything out and 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 didn't use any of the things that i grew up with like prayer or Devotion or the Bible or um, fellowship or whatever you want to tithing, whatever it was, as I threw those things away over time, I could pick those things up and try them on without having there be negative energy. And if there was, I had built up this trust with myself to not pick it up to let it be longer until there wasn't anything and and then to be able to get to a place where you pick that up and you're like yeah this this doesn't really feel good to me anymore or actually there's still something here for me and i might dabble in this or occasionally i'll pick it up um like for me i never read my bible the bible is so full of patriarchal and colonizer language that it is really hard for me to see the love of jesus the liberator jesus in it and to find god who i have refound in nature and through natural medicine you know as far as me doing plant medicine stuff that when i pick up my bible i'm usually picking it up because somebody's asked me to speak somewhere and, you know, I'm going to be, they need me to use a scripture or something. And then it's okay because I'm doing it on my own terms. As we deal with the stress and the trauma in our bodies, we start with gentleness. Like I said last week, we listen to the tells so that we can, as we build, as we tear down those old structures and we replace the shame, um, and if we don't have anything to replace it with, we don't replace it with anything until we can replace it with something good and gentle and kind and loving. And then as as we start to look at these things, we try to, in that gentleness, hold ourselves accountable. So, by me not feeling any particular way in the election you know that doesn't hurt anybody and it's okay to feel whatever i need to feel now if i blew up social media with with that that doesn't do anybody any good because i'm in i'm in my process so i have a policy with myself to speak out against racism and sexism and, you know, all the isms. And if I'm not sure about how to confront something, I try to wait 24 to 48 hours. Because I want to confront being fully aligned with who I am as a person. And if there's a rush, I'm going to do it sloppy and I'm going to end up having to apologize or I'm going to end up blowing somebody out of the water where there's no way to talk and, and have a conversation around something. So if I'm not sure about something, that's my rule of thumb is to wait. So just back to stress in your body, I think just the knowledge that things are stressful. It's not just in the United States that things are stressful wherever we are. And so when we can pay attention to those stressors, where we can eliminate them, eliminate them. Like if social media is causing your heart to race or you're sweaty, or you can feel your anger rising, get off social media. If you find that you know when you take a walk around the block or you know a walk down the garden path you feel a little bit better then do that more like replace things like those are ways to get in your body those are ways to give ourselves nurturing that maybe we can't get any other place and and I want to say Something that seems so stupid, but nurturing starts with us. Nobody else is going to nurture us the way that we can nurture ourselves, the safe place that we can provide for ourselves. Yes, we should have people in our lives, our partners, our friends, you know, our communities that help with that nurturing, but the nurturing starts with us. And so when we see those stressors, maybe we can't even identify what what they are or where the stress is coming from, you know, you have to start someplace, you know, what you're hearing is, you know, this is the work of the rest of my life. And it's the work I've been doing for since I was 18 and I just turned 50. So I started somewhere and I have step after step after step. I've gone backwards. i have I've, you know, jumped forwards sometimes, you know, where you have an acceleration of health, but I started somewhere. And over time with the loss of my mother, and there were a lot of years where my my dad didn't talk to me either. Um, my mother is not dead. I don't have a relationship with my mother because I had to remove her from my life. And in the beginning, all I could do was grieve. All I could do was grieve the things that I could not share with my mother. My kids didn't have a grandma from my side that was going to do the things in our family that I cared about and loved. They. They didn't have another set of people that was that were going to speak positively and encouragingly in their lives. They didn't have another set of people that were going to show up to their birthday and Christmas and celebrate all these things. And I didn't have a mother that I could say, you know, hey, help me here. Or, what was it like for you? And and so for a lot of years, I would say probably eight to ten years. I did a lot of grieving and I I grieved it and then I moved to a place where I wasn't grieving it anymore but I was not happy that then I had to parent myself because I felt like (laughs) I didn't want to do it I had I wanted to be parented when I deserved to be parented and I didn't want to have to do it and then probably about eight to ten years in I had this switch in me where I realized I get to parent myself and who better to parent me than somebody that loves myself. And if I'm not loving to myself, that's the direction that I'm moving. I, I can listen to myself. I know I have firsthand knowledge of what Angie wants, what, what the child needed and didn't get. And that's where I'm at now as I get to parent myself and I will be parenting myself and nurturing myself until there is no Angie until i'm released back into the atmosphere and so that's some of what i want to say about stress in the body and how to be kind to yourself when it doesn't look like you thought it would look after the letdown after the release and different things that you can do to kind of pay attention to that and just give yourself grace okay now switching gears just a tiny bit which is not at all (laughs) I want to talk about what does trust look like in the body and how do you build it? And I can say that if I would have been talking about this, you know, you know, even 10 years ago, it would look different than it looks like today. Because like I said in the last, it, it is, it is a lifetime work. And we're growing and changing every day as we pay attention to this stuff. One of the things that I started to use um, probably about 15 years ago was the phrase um, building awareness. And I used to talk about it at the bridge when I was a pastor there. Um, Building awareness is, you know, building your awareness muscle is like using any other muscle. You have to build it. You have to tone it. You have to work it out and you can't work it out unless you are willing to fail, unless you are willing to drop the weights or have trouble running up the hill. You have to build it. You have to use it and you use it and you hone it like any other muscle. And, and another thing that I taught myself is the practice of paying attention. And I pay attention and my awareness muscle reveals to me things that I need to pay attention to. And because I've spent so many years practicing this for myself, working myself out of the dysfunction and the secret keeping and the not paying attention to anything in your body way that I was raised. Because I was determined to give myself something different and my children something different. I didn't want my children to be out in the world and have to deal with their own stuff, their own fears, their own, you know, stuff, anxieties and stresses, and on top of it have to deal with mine and my parents and their parents. Because nobody was willing to go, you know, it stops with me. And I'm sure they have some of my shit. You know, I had most of their childhood, I was in therapy, dealing with my PTSD and all the things that happened to me as a child. So I'm sure, even though I was working on stuff, some of that I gave them. Because I'm a human being doing human stuff in the world but what I also built was a language and a capacity to talk about these things and that is what we do as a family we talk about our feelings we talk about our emotions we talk about how we handled something um, if we're proud of the way we handled it or we feel like we need to own it and apologize we did not grow up with that in my house. So for the most part, they have as little of my stuff as I could give them, but they do have some of my stuff and they have their own stuff. But for the most part, except for what I don't know about regarding generational trauma, I mean, they probably have some of that because I'm sure I have some of that, but we've built a container and a way and a language around talking about that. Awareness means that when I see something in myself, typically with me, it starts with something I don't like, maybe a response to something and I notice. So probably seven years ago, I was working for, yearly, I work for my in-laws tax. Business, answering the phones and filing and doing stuff like that. And I noticed that certain people came in and their entitlement just, I mean, zero to 60, it enraged me. (laughs) There wasn't any like, oh, well, that's weird. And I'm sure they're just going through life any way that they can. It was just from minor irritation straight to rage or strong anger. And I was like, maybe a week went by and I started noticing it was happening a lot, like through phone calls and emails where I would lose my temper with people. And so I just started noticing it and I did something different than I had ever done with myself. Because my first reaction is always, what the fuck is wrong with you? what the fuck is wrong with you? And that does not work. And I think I had realized that me self-shaming, me beating myself up was not working. And so I did a pivot, as Michelle Obama would say, and I decided to try something different. And I had the tools, I just hadn't used them in this particular way. They were tools that I had learned from doing the intensive journaling workshops where I noticed it and I talked to myself and I said, okay, I see this thing with entitlement and it's gross to me. I don't want to be that mad with people because also when I get that mad at people, I, I'm giving them a little bit of my power and I don't want to give my power away but I'm also curious where this comes from and I trust myself. And sometimes when I say, I want to just pause for a second and say, sometimes when I say I trust myself that when I'm ready, that my inner voice will show me what I need to do or tell me what I need to do. Sometimes I'm speaking that into existence, whether I believe it or not. And so by using that muscle of saying, I trust myself. I trust myself. I trust myself. Guess what? I've built trust with myself. And up until this point, I had done enough journaling work and enough dialogues and enough therapy to kind of go, yeah, I think I do trust myself. And this, this shaming way isn't working. So I'm going to try this other way and see what happens. And I kind of use myself as an experiment. And so probably 3 weeks went by and i didn't really have you know i was noticing it so just by noticing it kind of lessened that entitlement reaction um but it didn't really change anything and then my husband and i were doing beer and hymns at the time and you know, before it started, we were setting up and stuff and I was telling him about it. You know, I have this thing that's reoccurring and I, you know, I see it as, um, you know, something that I don't like and I don't want to feel this way. And I'm just, you know, in this posture of noticing and because he works in um, the Kind Project stuff, which I can put the link to that in the notes um, for any men that are listening. He was able to reflect back to me and say, and remind me what shadow is. And so for those of you that don't know what shadow is, um, usually shadow is telling us something that we have a problem with ourselves. So it's it's like a mirror. And so I was... Like, normally i would be like what but because i i i worked in shadow i had worked in shadow long enough i was able to go oh okay and to also hold the stance of maybe my entitlement is not necessarily like the entitlement that i'm bumping up against you know like um demanding on the phone because that's that's not as a two that's just not something that i i do i don't i wouldn't get on the phone with somebody and say um give me your manager even though that's you should be able to do that it's just i don't do that kind of that's just not the way that i am in the world i'm not typically very demanding um but there are other entitlements And there's the entitlement that, you know, I've been reflecting on for a long time. And that's the entitlement that that comes from being white in the world. There's the entitlement of walking through areas and feeling safe because of the color of my skin. There's the entitlement of having, you know, some generational wealth because, my family could own land there are entitlements that I have and I benefit from and that's just one of the ways that kind of I started looking at the entitlements that I have and to notice them is to go okay I have these nobody's asking me to necessarily give them up but at least own that I have them and I'm benefiting from them and and To the best of my ability, either bring people with me into the entitlements, share the entitlements, or promote somebody instead of myself. Because of this trust that I built, which is listening, I listen to that inner voice inside of me. I've built that inner wisdom piece where I can hear Angie as a child. I can hear Angie as an adult. I can hear my inner wisdom saying, pay attention to this. And I have also built, this is a more recent build. (laughs) I am also building the capacity at the same time to not have to fix it. That isn't letting me off the hook for the work that needs to be done. But it's also saying it took a long time to get here and I will better be able to maintain the work if I'm not rushing myself or ripping off the Band-Aid that I am gradually looking at it, that I'm opening myself up to new awareness to go, okay, I see this. I don't like it. There isn't really anything I can do about it right now, but I'm noticing it. And that noticing is so powerful, and I cannot stress this enough. The noticing is enough. Because when we notice, often we go, oh, you know, I find myself when I notice notice stuff, sometimes without even realizing it, I have put my left hand on my chest and I'm rubbing. Because that's a grounding thing for me. And I haven't even noticed it until that moment. <laughs> or I notice that my jaw is tighter. And I'm like, okay, I see that. That's usually a stress indicator for me. Or my shoulders are tight. Or right now, like, I feel emotional because these are things I could not do as a child. I could not do, I wasn't allowed to be in my body. Somebody was allowed to possess my body, but I was not allowed to be fully in my body. And the nurturing says, you are allowed to be in your body you are allowed to fully live in your body. And you are allowed to fully be Angie. You are allowed to be fully you in your body. Building up trust means taking risks. So we don't take a giant leap. We don't put ourselves... I think I, I talked a little bit about this last week. We don't put ourselves... <laughs> it's the dog shaking. We don't put ourselves in dangerous situations first. We build a muscle, like just like no runner or no person beginning to run should start with a marathon, or even ten miles, like or even five miles. That's why somebody invented that that app, uh, Couch to Five K, to teach you how to build up. So you're starting with little notices, like. How am I right now when I'm on technology? Does it make me feel peaceful? Like I came into this podcast, I don't know if I was, maybe I was feeling apprehensive, not not because I don't like to talk to you all. I love to talk to you all, but I also want to make sure that I'm not putting shit out into the air. <laughs> and so I kind of, did some breathing as I walked through the house, I made myself a cup of tea, a nice calming chamomile tea. And I lit some candles in my room where I'm recording. And immediately I noticed that I felt a little bit more peaceful. And I do have something to say. And I think what I have to say could possibly help all of us. It's helping me. And I wanna help you too. And now I want to leave you with, let's call them mindful approaches that you can practice on your own. One of the things that I'd like you to do is, if you can't do it now, just listen to this and then you can, you know, do it later. But if you can get into a comfortable position, whether that's lying, lying down on your back, sitting on the couch, but get into a comfortable position okay are you there now i prefer to have my eyes closed but everybody is different so maybe for you it works better to have your eyes you know partially opened or open now start to take some deep gentle cleansing breaths Letting your body sink into that. And as you start to feel your body relax, I want you to bring to mind a place, a person, or an animal that fills you with a sense of safety. And as you lock that image into your mind, just go to that place or that person or that pet. Let yourself find safety there. What does that safety feel like in your body? And whenever you're ready, let your eyes flutter open and return to the room that you're in. And look around you. Look in front of you. Look above you. Look below you if you can. Look to the left and to the right and all the way behind you, kind of bringing yourself back in the moment. And don't, don't be concerned if you didn't feel anything in your body. Sometimes we don't. Often, like a muscle, it takes time to kind of notice where we sense things in our body and what we feel. I did this this morning and I had a profound reaction. The moment I went to my safe space, in my mind i immediately felt all this creativity rush into me like the book that i want to write the book that i've been working on and i've been afraid to tap into again i had ideas for the podcast like all these ideas art that i've been postponing on working on and so i just sat with that for a minute and i went wow there is a deep connection for me with safety and creativity. That without doing that little mindfulness meditation practice, I would not know that for me, creativity is interlinked with safety. And when I feel safe, when I can build that safe container for myself, I can be more creative. So, that was, for me, I did that maybe for three minutes this morning, and that was a huge takeaway. I've said on here before that I don't like meditations where somebody is not talking like a normal human being. Now, that doesn't mean their voice can't be quiet. I also don't want somebody yelling at me in meditation. But if if you're not using real, everyday human language, it just feels lofty to me and elitist, and I just it rubs me the wrong way. So those kind of meditations don't appeal to me. There is not one shoe that fits every person. There's not one way that fits every person. There's multiple ways for every person. And those ways shift and change, much like what I've talked about over the course of this pandemic is my meditation practice has shifted and changed. And I'm not sitting in front of my tree anymore, which was another shift and and change. And I'm at a place again where I'm kind of going, okay, what is next for me? What feels good to me? What will bring me the most life, the most energy, and the most peace? And I haven't found it yet. We try on different things. Don't be afraid to try things that maybe at first, much like the breathy meditation, lofty language talk that I don't find appealing maybe that works for you and there's nothing wrong with that go with what works for you one of the one of the good ways to work on noticing is through body scans so again if you can get in a place that's comfortable for you i prefer to do a body scan laying down I find it very difficult to sit and do a body scan. So if you can find a place to lay down and you can be alone, maybe for we'll do a quick one. But you can you can take this one and spend much longer doing it. But get in a comfortable position, laying down. Sometimes for me, I like to have my hands crossed. Um, over each other on my chest. And that feels good to me, whatever feels good to you. And then once you get in that position, take some deep, gentle cleansing breaths again, and just sink down. What I mean by sink down is just much like the corpse position in yoga is just let your body as much as you can fully relax into the breath. And as you breathe, go to the top of your head. Be in your brain and in your skull. Just noticing. And as you notice, whatever you're going to notice, relax. Relax your bones and your muscles. Relax your face muscles. Let them go slack. Now go to your neck and your shoulders. Be present there. And breathe. Let the cleansing air from your lungs fill your neck and your shoulders. What do you notice? Maybe nothing. And that's okay. And if there is anything, just release it. Now go to your chest, your heart space. Breathe in and fill your lungs with the air. and inhabit that place. what do you notice? Maybe something comes up for you. Maybe you have an emotion that surprises you. That's okay. You don't have to do anything with it. Just practice letting that go. just releasing it. Now go to your belly. Fill your belly up with air. Be in your belly. The place of your beginning. What do you notice? Release it back into the atmosphere. Go to your thighs and your calves and your buttocks. These places typically hold a lot of tension. We carry a lot of tension in our butts. At least that's what my chiropractor told me. (laughs) Just relax those muscles, those glutes. Let all the tension go and just notice. If you feel, what do you feel? And it's okay to feel whatever you feel or don't feel. And release it. Now I want you to go to your feet, inhabit the place where your feet are, be there. (sighs) These feet have carried you. Whether you walk on them, or you're in a wheelchair. They still represent holding our structure. And they hold a lot. So fill your feet up with your air. I know that's metaphorical, but just Visualize your feet filling up with air and breathe into your feet and out. And just notice what's there. If there's anything there. See it and just let it go. Return to your center and be present with your body just noticing not solving not doing anything but just being present and whenever you feel done open your eyes and return to the room well i don't know about you but i feel more relaxed i feel more relaxed Just when I acknowledge that there are things that I don't have to fix in the present moment, that I can just let them be and I can trust myself. And just like with anything, with any other person, trust takes time and we have to build it. And we start where we start. And we can be sad that we're starting late and that's okay. To acknowledge that, yeah, I wish that I had been given these tools earlier, or I wish that things had been different. And I can start here, and I can start now, and that's valuable. Thank you so much for letting me talk to you today. Every time I get to be with you, and I say that (laughs) knowing that we're not together at the same time, but I also believe that things transcend space and time, much like Doctor Who, <laughs> and that we are together, even if we're not listening to this at the same time and you're not in my room, I believe beyond space and time. And I value your presence and your deep listening with me. It's, it makes me feel like I'm not alone in the world. And I appreciate that. I want to remind you to remember who you are. Remember who you are deep inside yourself. Remember who you are. You are worth knowing. You are worth loving. You are worth being in this world. If you are looking for a spiritual director, a soul friend, a companion, I haven't found a word that feels good to me yet for what i do (laughs) it all feels very directive which is not how i look at you know listening i i use the phrase therapeutic listening for what i do and when i say therapeutic listening what i mean is in the 60s and 70s there was a model of therapeutic communities and those communities were different ways of looking at therapy you could go to this place and you could wear your normal clothes and you could have normal conversations be in nature and you know do yoga and meditation and all these options were available in one place for you to get help with depression or anxiety or PTSD and those places don't exist anymore but that doesn't mean the therapeutic communities ways of therapeutic listening which means that I will talk with you and go down the road with you as a therapeutic listener still have value and if and I would I would say more value Because we are so outside of those communities that we need. And that's what I do. I'm a therapeutic listener. Which means that I will hold space for your deconstruction. For finding a spiritual practice or a meditative practice or whatever you want to call it that works for you. That I can hold space for your trauma. I can hold space for your great dumps and... Walk that road with you and also help you find ways of being that feel good to you. That's what I do. And if you're interested in that or you know somebody that would benefit from that, you can find all my information at angiefatal.com. You can find me on just about any platform at Angie fatal soul care or soul care Angie fatal, Or you can Email me at angiefadal gmail.com. But I want to have these conversations with you. I will keep having these conversations with you, whether you meet with me in my private practice or on here, because I value it. It's a high value to me. But those resources are out there for you. If you want to jump on that, that's great. If not, I just appreciate you being here and holding this space with me. Take care, everybody.